Romans chapter 15 here tonight. And last time we looked at that verse there, verse um, 14 and 15, where we saw that Paul had come to speak to them, knowing that the Lord was in them. They were filled with all goodness and knowledge and that they would be able to take the information he gave them and assimilate it and use it to encourage and strengthen the brothers. And then also he said he spoke boldly and in a way of reminding them. And, and again, we talked about that, how, again, the pastor's job is not just to teach the word, but also to rebuke and to convince with all long-suffering and patience. And that's unfortunately a part of a, the job of the pastor, just like uh, the job of a parent also sometimes to say things to their kids they don't like. But Paul's motive we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. He says, Him, referring to Jesus, we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to the working which works in me mightily. So it's to that end we're laboring, striving, what? Warning every man, teaching every man, that they might become perfect, mature, complete, in Christ. That's our goal. That's our joy. And so everything that's said, hopefully here from the pulpit, you'll know that it wasn't for any other motive than the fact that to pierce those who need to be pierced in the heart, to cause those who look at things that need to, they wouldn't normally look at, but the preaching of the words caused them to look at it. And some things are, to some people aren't convicting at all because their life is lined up with the Word of God. And other things, people are bummed out or shocked or a bit dismayed. Boy, that's a bold word, man. That's a heavy statement. Why? Because it's only heavy to them because their life isn't lined up in the Word of God and it needs to be. And so it can be seen as a heavy word. But Paul says, I spoke boldly. I've reminded you. And of course, it was that he might present every man perfect in Christ. And now tonight in verse 16, he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. That word minister is... is uh, a word insinuating the priestly work of a minister. So uh, it's not the, the word doulos, which is the under rower, but it's the word to be a priest. So he's saying, I'm coming as a priest under Jesus. Jesus had an order of a priesthood of Melchizedek, we learn in Hebrews. So I'm like a priest uh, after Jesus. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Every one of us are a priest, the Bible tells us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we are his royal priesthood. Every single one of us, as we study through the Old Testament, that important working of the priest, we saw it. How they got up in the morning and gave the morning oblations, the evening oblations, the, they kept the fire burning all the time, sacrifices always being there. And, and, and that's our life too. But also the priests were those who went to God on behalf of the people. Now every believer is a priest. Every one of us can go directly to God. We don't need a mediator. We have one mediator, Jesus Christ. However, since we do have that direct access to God, we can go to God on behalf of others as well. So if a brother in the Lord is struggling, I can go to the Lord saying, God, help out my brother in the Lord. Or if there's somebody who doesn't know Christ, I can go to the Lord saying, God, open the door that I could preach the gospel, that I could strengthen them, and, and that I, the, door, the door would be open there. They, they would come to know you, you see. And so Paul's saying, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. How? To the Gentiles, to those who are non-Jewish people. That was Paul's ministry to people who were not Jews. Um, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to him, when he struck him down there at the road of Damascus, and then a little bit three days later, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, he says to Ananias to go lay hands on him, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, in that order. But his main primary ministry was to the Gentiles. In Acts 22, when Paul's giving his testimony, he says in verse 21, Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. God says, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. 
In Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who had worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And so our ministry here is a predominantly Gentile ministry. We love the Jewish people. We know they're God's chosen people. No doubt about it. I have a dear brother here in town who has a Jewish ministry to the Jews. He's a Christian brother, but he's a rabbi to the Jews for Christ. And he gets on to me from time to time, saying, why are you guys doing Easter? You should be doing Passover seders. That's the biblical way. And you also should be doing the Feast of Tabernacle. Don't you realize that represents Jesus Christ coming in human flesh? And, and that's an important time to have tabernacles. You, you should build a little tabernacle out here in front of your church. And people say, what's that little hut doing out there? And then you, you witness to them. And he feels very strongly about this, that the Gentile churches across the world are really blowing it because we're not keeping the feast to show Jesus Christ in the feast. And, uh, and so we'll usually get into a little discussion. I said, hey, brother, your ministry is effective to the Jews, but my ministry is effective to the Gentiles. I can get all kinds of unbelieving Gentiles to an Easter. We can even have an early sunrise service. When you can't get them out, the other 51 Sundays of the year at 11 o'clock... There's one time a year you can get them out at 5 o'clock. All in the skies of Easter. Yeah, but that's, don't you know it's a pagan holiday? And you know, but Yeah, I know. But the Gentiles show up and we preach the gospel. So to me, it's a pretty good deal. Not very Jewish, I, I have to agree with him, but my ministry is to the Gentiles. And so, again, I'll... I'll step away from his desire to make us a more Jewish church to say, well, we're ministering to Gentiles, so therefore we'll be Gentiles unto the Gentiles. And uh, you be a Jew unto the Jews, and God's blessing richly upon your ministry, and it is. And may God richly bless my ministry to the Gentiles, and it is. And so Paul here is telling them in Rome, who are a mixed congregation, when I come to you guys... You might have heard that I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You might have heard that I studied any Gamaliel. And when I show up, you're probably expecting to see some of the Christian Jewish rabbis that have come through your way. Maybe Peter had made it there. Well, he became the Pope. Of course he made it there, right? No. Um, we have no historical fact that Peter ever made it there, but he definitely wasn't the Pope. But uh, besides that... There's other Jewish rabbis that no doubt looked very Jewish, ate very kosher. And Paul is letting them know, hey, when I come into you, my ministry is probably going to look a bit different than what you've been seeing. Because I am called to the Gentiles. Remember in Acts chapter 14 where Paul goes and he's preaching to the Jews and and. There they were hearing it, and the whole city showed up. And, and when the other Jewish rabbis saw that, they got jealous. And they came and they started speaking against Paul, and they finally wouldn't let him speak. And Paul said, fine. The gospel must first go to the Jews, because they're God's chosen people. But if you're going to reject it, then I'll go to the Gentiles. And he quotes a verse, and all the Gentiles rejoiced. And so, at this time in history, when these Romans are reading... There's an apostle, one of the 12 apostles that were chosen by Christ. One of them in particular was called solely to the Gentiles for us. God truly wants us saved. You've got to realize, in this mind frame of this day, it was, this was a big deal. God called a guy specially just for us. Just for us. And the guy who ended up writing half of the New Testament again, was a guy who had a calling to Gentiles. 
And so Christianity is not a Jewish religion. Christianity is a Jew and Gentile religion. We are adopted into the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but there is no law for us. We don't need to be circumcised, Paul would say in Galatians. And if you try to get circumcised to be approved by God through the law, then you've fallen from grace, and it's by grace that we're saved. And so he's making a statement that may seem very nonchalant 2,000 years later, but at the time it was a big deal. He was a priest. What kind of priest? A Gentile priest. That's what Paul is saying. That's the way they would have read it in the day in which they read it. And so it, to the Gentiles reading this in Rome, their heart would have rejoiced going, oh yes, Paul was sent to us and to lead Gentiles to Christ. And then he says also ministering the gospel of God. The word gospel is simply the word good news, the good word news of God. What a great news we have. God loves you. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is every one of us have this calling to be ambassadors for Christ, to go and tell the world that their sin is no longer imputed to them. And so the world says, well, I'm not good enough to come to God. You don't have to be. Are you a sinner? That's what Jesus came to seek and to save, that which is lost. You're, you're in there, man. If you can see that you're a sinner, that you're not good enough, then you're right you're right for salvation. But, but what if I sin after I get saved? No doubt you will. But I'll confess that sin and then I do it again. What will happen? How many times shall we forgive our brothers daily? Seventy times seven. How many times has God forgiven us? At least what he asks of man. If God forgives us seventy times seven daily, then God forgives us seven Googleplex times seventy daily. <laughs> Believe me, God's his mercy and forgiveness is far greater than any man could ever dream it to be. And so, we have that word, that imputation no longer takes place of sin. God no longer declaring. So now when we sin, God says, that's wrong. That's disobedience. That shouldn't happen. I don't want to see that continue to happen. But he doesn't say, that's sin and you're separated me for, from me forever. Now, if we continue in a life of sin, that's a whole other thing. In 1 John 3, it says, you've neither seen God nor known God. Because this is what he came, was to destroy sin. But as believers, we do stumble and fall. But the righteous man falls seven times and gets up seven times. We don't stay down. And that's the great word we have of good news. God has, is, and will forgive your sins. Come unto him now. He's got you and he'll keep you by his hand. We have the good news of God. The grace of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified, set apart, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a radical verse, verse 16, because it gives us some incredible insight. Number one, Paul says, I see myself as a priest, and as Paul, as a Pharisee would have always loved to have been, but he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Since he wasn't of the tribe of Levi, he couldn't be a priest. But let me tell you, all the religious scribes and, and Pharisees and teachers looked at the, Pharisee, the, at the Levites and just envied them, going, oh, I wish I could have been born of the lineage of Aaron. I can't go into the temple. I'll never have the chance to be the high priest. I'll never... But Paul now says, hey, guess what? I am in the priesthood. You're in the priesthood. How? Through Jesus Christ. Not through the lineage of Aaron, but through accepting Jesus Christ into your life. You are now of the lineage. You are now lined up as heirs of Christ. You can be priests. And what are we giving priests to? The sacrifice of what? The sacrifice us. He says, here's what I'm doing. I'm bringing them the gospel of God to be saved. And then I turn around after they're saved. And then I offer them to God as a sacrifice. The, we ourselves are a sacrifice unto God. He just got through saying that in Romans 12. That we would give our lives as a sacrifice. And Paul says, that's what I'm going into the world to do. To tell Gentiles they need to be saved. To bring them to the place of maturity in the Lord. Where they're giving their life as a sacrifice. And then the sweet smell unto God is no longer a barbecuing lamb. 
But the, the sweet smell unto God now is us daily denying ourselves, taking up a cross and following Jesus and to bring every man to that place where he's really living his life. As Paul says, dying is working in me that life would be anew. That we would fulfill in our body that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That we would daily lay down our life for our brothers. Daily we'd lay our life down to be a witness. Daily, daily lay our life down to be that person filled with the Spirit and to be full of kindness and gentleness and love and peace and patience. and All of these things would be in our lives and abounding that we would have be that life of a sacrifice unto God. And then he says, sanctified, set apart. How, how is this process going to happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the Trinity there. He says, I'm a priest or a minister of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel of God, referring to the Father, and then set apart by the Holy Spirit. The working of God in his triunity. We see it here. So, Jesus said, I won't leave you, leave you as orphans. I will come to you and what? The Holy Spirit, will, who now is with you, will be in you. Now, I don't know if you've discovered it in your Christian walk, but we can't do it. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by His Spirit, saith the Lord. And I have seen it where people are clearly in sin and talk to them about it and they just can't get it. And then some months later, they just come weeping, saying, I am the biggest sinner in the world. I, I don't understand how I could have lived this way or thought this way. And why do I see it now? The Holy Spirit. He's in the world convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. There's some people that aren't in sin, but they're not pressing in on the Lord as they should. They're not seeking the face of God in the Word. They're not living that life of prayer. They're not fellowshipping with the saints and they're in carnal things. I, I don't know if you can call them sin, but yet they're not building them up in the Lord. And, and they live in this sort of carnal, weak, anemic Christian life, sometimes for years. And all of a sudden they wake up one day going, man, I need to be righteous as Jesus is righteous. I need to live a holy life before him. And why, how could I have I been living this way for the last one or 10 or 20 years? Why is it I see it now and I didn't see it before? The Holy Spirit. God in His perfect time and His perfect way is revealing unto you the deeper things of God now. So we, as believers, we see it. We wake up one day going, man, I haven't been in the Word and I'm weak and I'm impatient and I'm, I, I feel like I'm a fish out of water and I don't, any direction, I don't have it and I, I don't have spiritual passion anymore for God and help. What do I do? And we just go to God. And we say, Lord, I want to give my life as a living holy sacrifice, but I can't except by the power of the Spirit. Lord, please help me. Please, by the power of your Spirit, awaken me morning by morning, quicken my ear to hear as a learner that I'd have the word to sustain the weary in the day. Oh, unto thee, O oh Lord, do I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Help me, Lord. Holy Spirit, lead me. Show me your ways. Teach me your past. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you're the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. And the Holy Spirit now empowers, you see, all those great desires. So I could not be in the Word at all and not even know it. I just sort of went on my life and three weeks later I realized, oh, I haven't been reading the Bible. I don't even know where my Bible is. There it is down at the church on the sound, on the sound booth wall back there. Collecting dust. Oh, gee, yeah, I, thought, man, I was wondering where that thing was. I'd left a Bible at a camp some years back. It was a little Bible I just sort of shoved in my pocket when I would travel or go for a walk and couldn't find the thing. And, and then uh, some months later, somebody says, well, how are you doing in the Lord, Brian? <laughs> doing great. Well, got your Bible still. Waiting for you to ask for it. <laughs> little gray one? Yeah, okay, that's, I was wondering where that was. That's not my, that's not my steady diet. That's, that's my little, uh, my little uh, vegetable pouch I take with me, man. I, I'm still getting the meat and potatoes. So, 
But nevertheless, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit is going to do that work. Now in verse 17, Therefore I have reason to glory. The word there is to boast or to take great joy, to laugh. I, I therefore reason just to take this joy, to start boasting, not in a prideful way, but in a, a way of joy in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. So he says, man, I, I just want to stop and declare all the wonderful things God is doing. I, and boy, I could go on and on about it. And read in the book of Acts, God did some radical things through Paul and, and how he would love the church of Rome to know all of this stuff that went down in his life. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he just wants to take a minute and say, guys, God is working. Man, I could tell you some radical things that he has done. And, and as we read the book of Acts, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. On the island of Cyprus there, he tells Bar-Jesus to be blinded as he's hindering, as he's trying to preach to the governor of the island of Cyprus. There is he's making tents and, and people as he reaches over to grab his bandana there and, and to wipe his brow from the sweat, he would set it down and somebody would steal it and off they would go and, and later on they would find out that somebody was healed or raised from the dead or a demon was cast out by just the rag of Paul. All of the great things as Paul was preaching there in Lystra and, and there he saw a man who had faith and a crippled man. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up. And the man jumped up completely whole. And the whole city said, oh, this, these aren't men, this is God. And they rushed upon Paul and Barnabas to take him by force to begin worshiping. And they said, hey, hey, we're just men. It's Jesus Christ. And they began to preach him. Boy, Paul had stories to tell. And he's just thinking about it going, man, I can't wait to get to Rome and tell you guys. And also for the work that God's going to do through me when I'm there. And man, it's, it's going to be mind-boggling what the Lord's going to do. I'm just, I can't tell you how God has worked with me through in word and in deed and in signs and in wonders. Wow. Now, some people ask the question, where are the signs and wonders, Brian? Why aren't they happening like they did in the book of Acts, as Paul could tell us in his ministry? They still are happening around the world. But if you look closely at the scriptures, Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem and wait for that empowering of the Holy Spirit. Why? That you might be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Where the gospel had not been preached before. And so the Lord would say, go into the world and preach the gospel. And what? Signs and wonders will follow your ministry. And so Paul goes on to say there in verse 20, So I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So Paul is saying, man, the signs and the wonders, the working, the word, the deed, I, I just, oh, I, I just boast. This is a wonderful ministry. I never want it to stop. And I know that it will stop if I sit down and be a pastor somewhere to a flock of people that already believe. But I want to see God's power moving, so I need to be out there where the gospel is not yet preached. And this is the confirmation we see in the Word of God. For example, if you turn with me over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. It's Matthew and then Mark. The very last chapter, 16. And Jesus talking to them after he was raised from the dead, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. We see that in the ministry of the apostles. There was a woman who was following Barnabas and Paul, saying, Listen to these men, they're great men of God. And this went on, and finally Paul said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it was a demon. 
he thought, man, no woman can be that obnoxious. And uh, that's why I threw him for about three days. But uh, that's, that's another story. But anyway, <laughs> boy, am I in trouble. And uh, come out of, of her, and, and the demon came out. And he says also, they will speak with new tongues, as we see in the book of Acts chapter 2 and uh, chapter 10 and chapter 19. And they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly, anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so Paul there, when he was on the island of Maltus, he was picking up some branches and making a fire and a snake came out and grabbed a hold of him. And all the islanders there said, oh, he truly is a wicked man. He is supposed to be a prisoner. The gods have spoken. Uh, only those snakes bite when a person's guilty and, and he's going to die. And then Paul didn't die. And then they turned it around saying, oh, he must be God, you know, and and there uh, he laid hands upon the chief who had dysentery, and he was completely healed. And then Paul preached the gospel there, and the whole island got saved. That is Fantasy Island, a whole island with born-again people. And then, um, as far as drinking anything deadly, we don't have anything documented in the scriptures on that. Laying hands on the sick, and they will recover. I mentioned that in verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. Of course, in between verse 19 and 20 was the day of Pentecost. But they went out, notice, and they preached everywhere, everywhere the gospel had not yet been. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The Lord working with them, confirming the word, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now look over in Hebrews, if you would. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, Therefore we must give the more excellent or earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness by both with signs and wonders, with, re, with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so the gospel was confirmed by the working of the supernatural signs of God. And so today, I believe that those same signs will accompany anybody who goes and preaches the gospel where it has not been preached. Does that mean they can't happen in the church? Most certainly they can. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There it says that God's given to the gifts unto every single person in the body. Why? For the edifying of the body. And so there's that working of the Lord supernaturally to edify the body. This last weekend, I was gone in case you didn't notice. Um, <laughs> heading back on Monday, decided to stop off and see a good friend of mine up in L.A. And, and uh, he was just shocked. He had just had some devastating news moments before we got there. And, and uh, he said, man, I, I talked to him. And he goes, man, I was trying to get a hold of you. And I didn't, they said you were gone. And I, I needed to talk to you. And then here you are. His wife came in. She goes, God is just so good. God is just so good. There's no other person today that could comfort my husband like you. And here you are, right here in person. It's God. And so there's those times where you see those workings of God that, again, may not seem miraculous to the world, but it's miraculous to us. Because we sense, we know what the Lord is doing and meeting that need. And I know also that often in the preaching of the Word, people will come up and say, as many, as you, many of you who have taught the Word know, Man, that's exactly what I've been going through and, and, and how the Lord works. Sometimes I'll be preaching and I'll just come up with some idea. And Well, 
It's like going over to Sears over here and spending $30 and then your husband getting mad at you about it and you have this argument and uh, somebody comes up going, my husband talked to you, didn't he? No, no. Well, how did you know yesterday I went to Sears and spent $30 and my husband got all mad at me? I had no idea. It was just a crazy thought that came into my head. And I, but that happens on a consistent basis. And in many of your lives, you have those same types of workings where they know and I know. And, and, and if you tried to go share that with the world, and this, oh, come on, come on. I can see just a coincidence and that, well, would have had to have been there. It really was God. And so God does minister, not in ways that would necessarily bring glory to man. In many of the Pentecostal churches, I love their zeal for the Lord, but they're not seeking Jesus. They're seeking the gifts of of the Lord, not the giver of the, not the giver, the Lord. And they're using the gifts as a showroom display, as to say, look at me, man, I'm empowered. Like the little train going around tooting its horn. Doot, 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 look at me, you know. That, that's not the idea. That's not the idea. The idea is that we would just minister to one another and God would get the glory. And if we're in the Word and we're fellowshipping, God will just seem to give us that heart. Man, I'm going to write them a letter. It was supernatural. I feel like I need to give them a call, and it was supernatural. Man, I just had this verse today. God so shared it with me. It's blessing my socks. I want to share it with you. And there as you're sharing it, it's like, oh, that, that is the Word that God's speaking to me today too. And He just spoke it through you prophetically. You're a prophet. Did you know it? No, I didn't know. Man, he, he just totally spoke through you right now. So God can do it also in the church. But to say signs in the world, you see, once the church is established, that is their sign. The world would see our love for one another and they would know that we're of Jesus. And so now it's not the supernatural signs and wonders, but it's the supernatural character of Christ. And if we know, don't we, that supernatural healing of a blind person is nothing compared to healing my lousy character. For me to be patient and kind and loving and self-controlled, huh, let me tell you, moving a mountain is nothing compared to that, you see. And so now the, the great miracle the world's looking on is changed you and me, you see, where the world says, I have known this guy for the last 20 years. In the last two years since he's come to Christ, I'll tell you, I need what he has. The spirit who's already convicted him of sin and of righteousness judgment is taking that word and, and zeroing in, saying, look at the testimony of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in changing lives. So, you want to be a radical person of power? Signs and wonders are not required. Well, how do you know? Because the Bible tells us the greatest of all men was John the Baptist. And look over in John chapter 10, verse 41, if you would. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 41. John 10, 41. It said, Then many came to him and said, They came unto Jesus. Many came to Jesus and said, John performed what? No sign but... All the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Radical. I mean, there's people that are going to stand before the Lord on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? It doesn't seem to be any argument. Yeah, you did. Balaam was a prophet, and he's in hell according to Jude. Lord, did we not work miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And he will say to them, 
Be gone, you workers of iniquity. I have never known you. Wow. You see, the greatest working of God is not the working through you. Because God can even use a non-Christian to work his power through him. He can even use a donkey like Balaam's donkey. The greatest work God is doing is in you. And without love, you're nothing. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you have all power to do these signs and wonders and you know all mysteries and have all knowledge and have faith as to move mountains, but yet you do not have love, you are nothing. And all that you're doing will profit you nothing. John was a powerful, powerful man. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was upon him. Well, if the Holy Spirit's in power, then it has to spell out in signs and wonders. No, it doesn't. Who the man was, what the man said, it worked in a powerful combination. That when they saw John, they heard John, they experienced his life and how he lived, and then heard what, they said, what he said about Jesus, they believed upon him without any signs at all. And so Paul here is saying, I'm out preaching the gospel where the gospel has not been preached before. And let me tell you, the word, oh, there's something about preaching the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. We're going to be planning uh, another trip coming up this year to Hungary and another one over to England. And uh, I hope we have some powerful evangelistic teams who want to go on those trips. But you'll go to places where they've never heard the gospel before. Of course, the whole country of England <laughs> practically is, is as pagan as you can get. But there's something powerful when you're standing out in a park and you've got 25 people gather around you and they know nothing about Jesus and you begin to share the Lord with them. It is radical. It's powerful. In word, in deed, to show them the simple Christ's love, to show that character of Jesus Christ as we're just simply being ourselves, but to them it's so different than all the people they know, self-centered and self-thinking, and we're not. And then God working in a mighty way to confirm the signs that follow. And so we need to all, as it says there, be obedient to God's word. In 1 Corinthians 12, it clearly says, desire earnestly the best gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, desire, pursue love, but yet desire also to prophesy. So those are two scriptures that we need to take and consider. What is the best gift? You're sick. Somebody you love is sick. Well, the best gift might be the gift of healing. Man, I, I need to be bold at work. Well, your best gift might be that gift of prophecy that you could proclaim that word in power. Well, man, I'm really struggling right now with my finances and making decisions. Well, you need the gift of faith or the gift of miracles. Balance your checkbook. <laughs> You see, I don't know, but God knows. And he can give the gifts severally as he wills. But we need to always be open and willing to live, saying, God, any way you want to work, I'm, I'm willing to experience that and pursue that and seek after that. But yet, the greatest is love, no doubt about it. And also, um, to see the word of God, people to come unto Jesus because of the word that was spoken. And so Paul says here, also, that uh, we fully, notice in verse 19, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In the modern, transler, tra modern surfer translation, it says, I have totally, radically preached the gospel, dude. <laughs> and, and so this is what he's saying. It, it's everything there was to tell, I told it. And I did not stop. Paul, when he went to preach the gospel, he did it as simply as he could. Now notice over, turn if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, 
declaring to you the testimony of God. So Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't have some great wise thing to say. I didn't some have some elegant way to say it. For I determined, in other words, even if I did have some wise thing to say, even if I could be excellent of speech or have eloquent way of saying it, I, I determined not to do that. Not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to tell you about who he is. That he is God in human flesh, how he was born in a manger, grew up in Nazareth, what he preached, what he said, and what he did. He died and he rose again. And I was with you in weakness. So they're evidently given excuses why they can't preach like Paul did. And Paul says, look, you may think back in your mind when I came to Corinth and nobody had heard the gospel. And you may picture in your mind me being up there, some radical orator. You may picture me being some radical, confident guy who just had it all together. And I've got 10 years of ministry behind me. And, you know, I'm telling you, that's not the way it was. When I came to you, I told you the ABCs of Christianity. God loves you. He died for you. You're a sinner. You need him. You need to repent of your sins that he might come into your life. And in your minds, it was new and fresh. And because the Holy Spirit was with me, it was powerful. But it, I didn't have something that you don't, don't have. I didn't say something that you don't already know. For I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So Paul says, I may have looked confident to you, but I wasn't. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Oh, you know, Paul, he's so intellectual and, you know, uh, he studied under Gamaliel and, and, and he's this guy. And, and no, Paul saying it had nothing to do with it. I, I didn't have persuasive words. You said, I'm not a sinner. You say, yes, you are. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But, but. You can't tell me I'm going to go to hell if I don't receive Christ. Well, the Bible, it is true. The wages of sin is death. If you don't receive Christ, yes, you will go to hell. Anybody could say that. That's the facts. I didn't have some persuasive words of human wisdom. I just had, what, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I fully preached the gospel. And so again, I, I think that we've got to be careful to think that we need to have some great insight, some great word, some great bit of wisdom that's going to just sway this person who's so stubborn. No, the power of God's Spirit will do it. The power of God's Spirit will win them over. I remember back when I was just a babe in the Lord myself, really not being that deep in the things of God. And I was 18, 19 years old, my freshman year of college. And, and I was, Friday night, I was in the weight room working out. And, and uh, one other guy was there who didn't have a life. And, uh, <laughs> and so he started um, in on me. He found out I was a Christian quickly. And, and, and literally, his dad was a rocket scientist. And this guy was studying to be a rocket scientist, you know. And he began to say, well, tell me there, Mr. Christian, you know. If God can do anything, yeah. Can he make a rock too big for himself to pick up? God can do anything. Well, he can't pick it up, then he can't do everything. Oh, hmm. No, no, the Bible says that God can do anything. Yep, I'm sure of it. So I guess he would... Make a rock you can't pick up and then pick it up. That's not intellectual. You don't know what you're... I don't know. I just... He can do it. Well, did God make everything? Yeah. Then he made Satan. Then he made evil. And so your God's an evil God. No, I just read in the Bible in James that there's no evil in him. There's no shadow of turning. That he is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt with evil. No. Nope. Can't be evil. Well, does, did he make everything? Yeah. Did he make Satan? Yeah? Then he made evil. Nope, you can't make evil because it says right there, you're just quoting the Bible. That's not a logical argument. Well, I'm telling you what the Bible says. I... And he just kept going on and on. I was frustrating this guy because I was so simple. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be simple. And finally, at the end of the night, I mean, I, I realized this guy skunked me. He knew. He, he, was, he was a trained atheist by his dad and 
And, you know, I didn't know. And there at the end of that evening, we ended up working out together a little bit, and, and the Lord just spoke to my heart heavily. And he said, ask him if he's ready to pray to receive me. I'm just thinking, this guy all night was cynical and critical, and, and uh, you know, he's just smirking. He thinks I'm the biggest dope in the world that I'm a Christian. And it was so heavy upon me, and, and uh, I got in my car, and I, I took him down to his dorm, and I said, hey, before you get out, I've got to ask you something. Are you ready to receive Christ? And he looked at me, and he just started weeping. He goes, yes, I am. And he prayed and received the Lord. I was more blown away than he was. <laughs> but I just kept coming back. What do I know? I know you're a sinner, and I know that your sins are, are going to keep you from going to heaven, and, and you need Christ to take care of them. And, you know, are you a sinner? Do you know you have sin in your life? Well, let me ask, you know. So, again, I know it's not some persuasive words of man's wisdom. It's a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. First Corinthians fifteen thirty four. Awake to righteousness. In other words, doing the right thing. And do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now what sin is he talking about? The sin of lust? No. The sin of lying? No. He's not talking about the sin of omission, but he's talking about the sin of commission. You see, sin is not just doing the wrong thing. Sin is also not doing the right thing. You see, if a baby falls into a swimming pool and is drowning, and, and I just ignore it and walk into the house and eat my TV dinner, and a little later I come out and the baby's floating in the pool all purple. Not my baby. I didn't, you know. I locked the gate. I don't know how he slid in under the gate or what. It's not my kid. What would you say to that person? You'd say, you're evil, man. I didn't throw the baby in the pool. I had, I'd have a fence up. I don't know how he got, you know. It's not my responsibility. Whoever's parent, you know, they should have taken care of. No, the fact that a baby fell into the pool and you didn't immediately jump in and grab them and take them out of the pool and save them. You see, if, if I came and they said, you took my baby out of the pool, well, thank you. I wouldn't necessarily be looked at some great hero. I just did what is expected of me. If I didn't do that which was expected of me by pulling the baby out, of, it would have, I would be seen as evil. In the same way, as fuzzy as it is to us right now about hell, about heaven, about sin, about Satan, all these things in the spiritual realm that we can't see, but yet the Bible clearly says they're there. So I know, I know there's a hell. Sometimes I, I can't really place it in my mind. I, I down at the beach and I start playing frisbee with somebody and, and hanging out with them and, and just goofing off. We start talking about baseball or this or that. And, and, and for me to think, I know this guy from what he said, he doesn't know the Lord, but he's going to go to hell. He's going to burn in hell if he dies right now. It's just not so clear to me right now. But I need to awake. I need to awake to righteousness and not sin. How would I not sin? By letting him know that there is a Savior who loves him and there is a wrath to come. And if I don't share that with him, then I have sinned. The sin of commission. I knew I could possibly do something good and did not do it. I could have the opportunity to do something good and didn't do it. And so again, he says, I say, wake to righteousness. Don't sin. There are still some among you who don't have the knowledge of Christ, and I speak this to your shame. And so... Here tonight, Paul says, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Have you? Can you say that I have fully preached the gospel of Christ in your work, 
in your neighborhood, with your relatives? Or have you held back because you thought you might be rejected or embarrassed or demoted or lose your job or be seen as a fanatic? And therefore, because you didn't want to be embarrassed or rejected, you've kept your mouth shut. I encourage you, as Paul did tonight, preach the gospel fully. Don't let it be said that there's some amongst you who don't have the knowledge of Christ. Don't let it be spoken unto your shame. Well, next week we're going to take a look a little more at that and move on through probably um, all the way down to verse 28. Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. And we do ask in Jesus' name that you have spoken, that you would continue to speak.